We welcome everybody that's watching by live stream today. Man, we appreciate you communicating with us. We get a lot of people that are telling us about how much they're enjoying the services. And not only when I'm speaking, but Pastor Justin or one of the other pastors here. And we are so thrilled that you're watching. So keep communicating with us. Let us know your testimonies. If you've been experiencing a healing this morning, let us know about it. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, next Sunday. Next Sunday. Everybody say next Sunday. Church will be back as normal. <laughs> well, close to it. Praise God. The two services, 9 and 11. Pastor Justin be speaking in both of them. Then the following Sunday, 9 and 11, I'll be speaking in both of them. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen after that, praise God, but come and see. And uh, so let others know that are members of the church, that uh, they can be able to come back in the auditorium, praise God. And we are excited about that. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, first of all, this morning. Romans chapter 12. One of my favorite chapters. <clears throat> and let's begin reading in verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The message translation says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Oh, I love that. Praise God. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Most Christians have never realized that they no longer have to live a normal life. Hallelujah. I am not normal. Some of you knew that already, but I am not normal. I don't intend to ever be normal again. Amen. When, the, when, you know, when I was healed of that stroke and recovered from that stroke, they were saying that he'll never be normal again. Well, you know... I knew what they were referring to, you know, but I, I'm glad I had medical science in agreement with me. I'll never be normal again. <laughs> Amen. I'm not normal. I live, I live a supernatural life. Hallelujah. And that, that's, that's available to any believer who would choose to receive it. Praise God. We don't have to live normal lives. That's what Paul is talking about here. We are no longer to be conformed to this world. We don't have to just fit into it just because that's the way everybody else is going. No, uh, I got out of the crowd a year, many years ago, over 50 years ago. I started marching to the beat of a different drummer. And I'm still doing so, praise God. Amen. And it's been... Uh, 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 the greatest life anybody could ever imagine. And I give God all the praise for it. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4. And look at verse 17. And I'm going to read it both from the King James and from the message translation. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Now notice people live on a lower plane or a lower level out of ignorance. They don't know the word. They don't know what God has made available. And Paul is saying, don't live like that. We don't have to live like that. The message translation says, and so I insist, and God backs me on this, that there be no going along with the crowd. <laughs> Amen. I insist. I insist on everyone in here, and God backs me on this. Stop going with the crowd. Amen. Why would you want to live like everybody else when they don't know anything about living? Hallelujah. We're to live the abundant life. Not only live it, but enjoy it. Amen. To overflowing, the Bible says. So just because the rest of the world and many Christians live mundane lives, that doesn't mean that we have to. Amen. There shouldn't be anything ordinary about our lives. We should be living in the realm of the supernatural, praise God. Amen. God has transformed us and made us new creations, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. The little Greek says it this way, new species of being that's never existed before. I'm a new species of being. That Jerry Savelle that used to live in this body, he died a long, long time ago. Amen. And a new creation is now in this body. A new species of being that never existed before, praise God. Amen. And this one doesn't have that old one's limitations. Glory to God. Somebody give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Amen. So, once again, the message translation says, I insist, and God backs me on this, that there be no going along with the crowd. Just because they've decided to accept everything that comes down the pike, you don't have to accept it. Can you say amen? Just because they believe everybody's got to be sick sometime, you don't have to believe that. Just because they believe that, you know, uh, uh, everybody's got to experience lack and want and, and poverty, you don't have to believe it, praise God. Amen? Just because they say, you know, uh, times are, are, are bad and it's going to get worse, you don't have to accept that. Amen? It's time to leave the norm. I said, it's time to leave the norm. Look at your neighbor and tell him, it's time to leave the norm. Amen. Now, in Ephesians 2, if you'll back up a couple of chapters, and verse 2, we're in time past 
ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now notice, and, and you need to highlight this or underline it, in times past. It's not talking about right now. In other words, you ought to be living a different life right now than you did in times past. And if you're born again, then you're entitled to live a different life. Amen. The message translation once again says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. (laughs) I like that. You let the world that doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live. But that's not how we should be living our lives anymore. Thank God for that. Through what Jesus did at Calvary, major changes have taken place in my life, your life, and if not, then it should be, praise God. Now, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 that we are now partakers of the divine nature of God. Partakers of the divine nature of God, which once again means that we don't have to live normal, average lives. There's nothing normal about God. There's nothing average about God. And we are partakers of His divine nature. In Christ, we are entitled to a new way of living. Amen. We can put away our past and start living a new life without the limitations and the restrictions and the confinements that we once had. Hallelujah. Paul says, put off the old man and put on the new. Hallelujah. Put off the old man and put on the new. You ought to get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and just, you know, say, welcome, new man. Hallelujah. Amen. Give give him one of the Fonz, you know, remember Fonzie on Happy Days? He'd look in the mirror and he'd start to comb his hair and it was already perfect. He went, yeah. So just look in the mirror and say, new man. Yeah. Hallelujah. Go get him. Praise God. Amen. So we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, Ephesians 4, 22, from the Passion Translation. Let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man and the old self. Hallelujah. That old person that lived in that body, he's now ancient. Amen. Put on the new. Verse 23 from the same translation. It's time to be made new. The old self had limitations. The new self has none. In Paul's writings in the book of Romans, the Amplified Version says that in Christ we should be experiencing, according to Romans 6, 4, Newness of life. I like that. Newness of life. Say that with me. Newness of life. So there shouldn't be anything in our lives today that resemble our lives in the past. Amen. I'm even better looking than I was in the past. Hallelujah. What do you mean, amen? You didn't know me in the past. (laughs) I wasn't bad in the past, but I'm bad. Yeah, thanks for agreeing with me. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I won Carolyn's heart in the past. I mean, she fell in love with me when she was nine years old. I was 11. She told, told her mama and her sister, there goes the boy I'm going to marry. 
Hallelujah. She'd been in love with me all her life. You know, when you got it, you got it. <laughs> Hallelujah. No brag, just fact. <laughs> all right. Now, let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man. It's time to put on the new man and begin to walk in this newness of life. Now, I've got a lot of notes here. I, I told Rick before I came in the auditorium, I got about four sermons running around in me that I'm going to preach all at one time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, I've been studying the Word every day since all this took place. I got so many sermons. Carolyn gets up in the morning, and there I am. When she goes to bed at night, I'm at that desk in my study. And she said, are you still studying? I said, I can't get enough. The only problem is I don't have a place to preach all these sermons, but I will, hallelujah. When the time comes, I'm ready, praise God. So there's about four sermons that's running around in me this morning, and you're going to get all four of them at one time, hallelujah. So if you, keep, if you see me keep switching to different notes, some of this came at different times, okay? But all of it's important, praise God. So if you're still living as you did before, then something's wrong. If you're still living just like you did before Christ came into your life, then something's wrong. Satan's robbing you. And if I were you, I wouldn't tolerate it anymore. Amen. So how do you begin? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How do you begin this newness of life? How do you leave the norm and move into the supernatural? Through the Word. You can't do it outside of the Word, outside of knowing the truth. The Passion Translation says, For if you embrace the truth, it will release new freedom into your life. If you will embrace the truth, it will release new freedom into your life. Freedom comes from knowing the truth, we could say. Limitations are are removed when you know the truth. Confinements will become a thing of the past when you know the truth. Amen. You will be able to depart from the norm when you know the truth. You will experience the extraordinary when you know the truth. You will enter into the high life when you know the truth. Hallelujah. So don't ever, ever stop studying the Word of God. Amen. Don't ever stop studying the Word of God. Because that's where freedom comes. That's where this newness of life comes from. That's the source. And you should never, ever stop studying the Word of God. You would think after 51 years, I'm in my 51st year that I knew everything that I could possibly know about the Bible, but I don't. In fact, yesterday, I was telling some of them in the speaker's room, yesterday on my way out to Eagle Mountain to preach with Brother Copeland in his uh, victory campaign, virtual victory campaign, I was listening to Brother Hagin in, in my truck on the way out there. Well, Brother Hagin wasn't in my truck, but I was listening to him on tape, Okay. Well, they don't even call it tape anymore. But anyway, do you get the idea? I was listening to Kenneth Hagin, okay? I have these messages downloaded 
on my iPod. Okay. So I'm listening to Brother Hagin on the way out there. And actually, because we were going to have a healing meeting that morning, healing school, I was listening to Brother Hagin's sermons on healing and the anointing. Because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I wanted my faith to be at a high level when we were ministering healing to people. And uh, it's a message that I had heard many times before. Many times. But I heard him say something yesterday I didn't hear ever before. I thought, where was I when he said that? He said uh, that back when he was a young minister, he got acquainted with a man by the name of P.C. Nelson. And P.C. Nelson was uh, an authority on the Greek language. He, he also was able to speak 32 different languages. And uh, he was about my age that I am now when Brother Hagin met him. He was about 70, 71 or 2. And he would uh, take some of the young ministers, which Brother Hagin was at that time, and, and set them down and share with them certain truths from the Greek that the King James didn't say it quite that way. And so uh, I'm listening to this and he said, you know the scripture where Jesus said, in that day you shall ask me nothing, but whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. You remember that scripture? He said, now in the King James, I will do it is as strong as they could possibly translate that. In fact, he said, I'm sure that some of the translators probably knew that that wasn't strong enough but they were afraid to put in there what it actually said because religion, you know. And so he said, when Jesus said, in that day, you'll ask me nothing, but what if you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. He said in the little Greek that I will do it phrase says, if I can't do it, if I don't have it rather, I'll make it for you. Hallelujah. Whenever you ask the Father in my name, if he doesn't have it, I'll make it for you. Wow, I love that, praise God. Amen. If he doesn't have it, then he'll just make it for us. Praise God. You know, we have a, uh, an employee here. His name is Scott Tripp. And Scott is the MacGyver of Christianity. Thank God God sent Scott to me. Dear Lord, I don't know what I'd do without Scott. And, 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 and I'm saying that because if Scott can't repair it, if Scott can't, as we say in Texas, fix it, then it can't be fixed. And if we don't have what it requires, he will make it. Amen. I've, I've never in what, he's been with us nearly 20 years, 20 something years. Not one time has Scott ever said to me, and sometimes I ask for the impossible. Not one time has Scott ever said, can't do it, Brother Jerry, impossible. He said, yeah, I can do that. I can make that. Amen. And he does. It saves us tons of money. You know, sometimes uh, we'll, we'll show him something that we want done, and we'll have it all priced out and everything. He said, i I, I can make that for a whole lot less. 
And we're talking about sometimes, he's talking about, we're talking about $20,000 for something. Oh, I can do it for a couple thousand. Then help yourself. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Jesus said, if we don't have it, we'll make it for you. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. I thought that was a neat revelation, and I, I'm, I'm still high on it. Praise God. Now, let's look at Mark chapter 4 for a moment. Mark chapter 4. And one of the major tactics that Satan has is distraction. I I thought Carolyn was saying, Jay, I thought she wanted to say something. (laughs) See, I'm I'm always attentive though. Hallelujah. (laughs) Even if you thought you wanted to say something, huh? (laughs) Praise God. I say, Holy Spirit and Carolyn are one and the same. Praise God. If the Holy Spirit doesn't tell me, Carolyn does. <laughs> Amen. Now, listen to this. Mark chapter 4, verse 14, you're very familiar with it. The sower soweth the word. Now, what did we discover from Jesus that the word is capable of doing? Setting you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, no wonder Satan comes to steal the word. Amen. He doesn't want you to be free. He doesn't want you to live your life without restrictions and limitations. So, obviously, the moment you hear the word, see, he'll try to do that this morning to you. I I like to say, uh, Jesus said, Satan cometh immediately. I like to add, if not sooner. (laughs) You know, the moment you hear the word, Satan will attempt to steal that word before you even get to your car. Or before you can even turn that television off. He'll try to steal the word. I never forget when when I first began to hear the word back in 1969. And and Brother Copeland talked about uh, by his stripes, by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. We are redeemed from sickness and disease. And, 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 and so I was listening to all this, and, and I'm thinking, well, praise God, if that's true, then I don't have to be sick anymore. You know, I mean, that, that's just the thought I had. Well if, well, if all that's true, then I don't have to be sick anymore. And I, I, I said that one morning in my prayer time and in my study time, I just got up from my little desk I had in that bedroom. I said, well, praise God, I don't have to be sick anymore. It wasn't a few hours later I had all the symptoms of the flu. The flu was going around. Man, I got sicker than a dog. And, and I thought, well, I guess that wasn't true. Dear God, I'm sick. But see, Satan was trying to steal the Word. Amen? He was trying to steal the Word because the Word was introducing to me a freedom that I had not known before. Because, you know, if they, if the television, somebody on television said, the flu season is here, then I expected to get the flu. Remember that old commercial? Most of you probably don't, but there was an old commercial, and I don't remember what they were advertising, but it said, as long as there are husbands and winners, there will be colds. 
I thought, well, I'm a husband. Winter's here. Carolyn, go get the medicine. We're going to have a cold. You know? And, and whatever the world said, you just accepted it. You know? Do you ever notice in your bathroom there is what it's called a medicine cabinet? And how many of you, B.C., before Christ, kept it full of medicine? Come on, lift your hands. Amen. We called it a medicine cabinet. You know, you could put other things in there, but nobody called it a hair tonic cabinet. <laughs> nobody called it a, 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 a toothpaste cabinet. Thank you. That's exactly what I was trying to think of. See there, I told you. Nobody called it a toothpaste cabinet. It was a medicine cabinet. Go look in the medicine cabinet. Why? Because we were being programmed by the world. Amen? And the moment you hear a message on God wants you well, God wants you healed, and it gets into your heart, and you think, praise God, I don't have to be sick anymore. Hallelujah. And what happens? You get all the symptoms of something. And the first thing you think is, well, I guess that wasn't true, dear God. If it was, I wouldn't be sick. That's exactly what I thought. And, and, and I was about to go in there and tell Carolyn, you know, man, I'm sick. Dear God, I got all the symptoms of the flu. And I caught myself before I got to the guest bedroom where I was studying and our bedroom where she was. Before I got to the bedroom, walking down the hall, I remembered what Jesus said. Satan cometh immediately. To steal the word. And he did. Tried to steal the word. Why? Because without the word, I'm helpless. But with the word, hallelujah, I have no limitations. I'm strong in God. Hallelujah. So notice here he says, And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, he talks about different ways that he does it. But in verse 19, And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Notice that first part of verse 19, And the cares of this world. The cares of this world is one of the ways that Satan steals the word out of God's people. Now, the Amplified Bible says it this way. Then the cares and the anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless or unfruitful. In other words, the word is not able to produce what God designed for it to produce if you allow Satan to steal it. It becomes fruitless or unfruitful. So notice one of, the, one of the many tools, you might say, that Satan uses to steal the word is distractions. Distractions. And there are a lot of distractions taking place right now. Amen. During this time, there's a lot of distractions. And if, you, if you're glued to that television set, you're going to be distracted. Amen? 
Well, I want to be informed, Brother Jerry. Well, it doesn't take but about five minutes to be informed. But you don't want the word stolen out of your heart. And that's what's happening to a lot of Christians right now. They, they, they've allowed the word to be stolen from their hearts. And primarily through distractions. What is a distraction? It is a diversion of attention. It is a diversion from the truth. Amen. And if you allow that to happen, then you're going to be unfruitful. The word's not going to bear fruit in your life. Now, that's just the opposite of what God intended. Luke chapter 1 verse 37, the Amplified Bible says, No word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. So God's word is designed by God to be fruitful in your life, to produce fruit in your life. Isaiah 55, 11, the Amplified Bible says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. And in parentheses it says, without producing any effect. Amen. God's word is not designed to come into your heart and not produce anything. It's designed to produce something. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, God's word is designed to produce something in my life. It goes on to say, it shall not return turn unto me void without producing any effect, but it shall accomplish that which I please and purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So notice Satan stealing the word causes you to be unfruitful. Amen. Or not experiencing God's best. Distractions are a diversion. They take the attention away from the truth. And if you allow the truth to depart out of your life, then you're going to wind up living like the old man again. That's what's happening to a lot of Christians right now. Amen. Now, I'm not saying pretend there are no problems. There are problems. There is a crisis going on. We're all aware of it. But it doesn't mean we have to be destroyed by it. It doesn't mean that that, uh, the Word doesn't work anymore. It doesn't mean that uh, God won't supply our needs anymore. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, uh, fades, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Do you not think that God knew this was coming? He didn't wake up yesterday and say, what's been going on for the last few months? Why didn't somebody wake me up? No, he said that he would supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And his word is forever, forever settled in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, you can let something distract you. A need. A bill that's not being paid. Lack loss of job, or whatever it might be. And that can become a major distraction. And I understand it. I'm not, I'm not saying, uh, you know, 
thou art dumb. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, it doesn't change the Word of God. Where are your priorities? What do you value the most? It should be the Word of God. Amen. And if God's Word is true, and it is, then God's Word is not going to return void. It's going to accomplish something if you won't allow Satan to steal it from you. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, here's a verse that may not sound as though it applies to what I'm talking about, but it does. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. I'm sure you all know it. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Well, what does that have to do with this, Brother Jerry? Everything. You could say it like this. What holds your attention and captivates you is what's in your heart. What holds your attention and what captivates you is what is really in your heart. And what is in your heart is the direction that your life's going to go. The message translation says, uh, where your treasure is, you'll end up being. What's in your heart, you're going to end up being. And the Passion Translation says, your heart will always pursue what you value the most. Amen. What you value the most. So, it's important that we not allow Satan to steal the word from us. So, in the light of this, my question to you this morning is, how much do you value what God's word says? How much do you value what God's word says? I depend on it entirely. Hallelujah. If I didn't know the word, then I don't know where I'd be today. If I didn't know the word, then I'd know, I, would, I would know how to pay all these employees. And not just here in America, but offices all over the world. But we hadn't had to lay one employee off. We hadn't had to reduce anybody's salary. Is that, is that true? Jeremiah, praise God. Amen. We haven't missed a beat, praise God. And I attribute that, first of all, to God being my source and the goodness of God. And I know the word, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And I give God all the glory for it. Hallelujah. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know it well, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The message translation says, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that. Look at your neighbor and say, God knows what he's doing. He hasn't fallen off the throne. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you and plans to give you the future you have hoped for. Hallelujah. Don't lose hope in all of this. God's plan is still to give you the future you have hoped for. Glory to God. God's word translation says a future filled with hope. And then another translation says a bright future. Amen. Your future's still bright. May not look like it right now, but don't be moved by what you see. 
It's not over, praise God. Uh, I was sharing on the broadcast yesterday with Brother Copeland that Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, uh, being confident of this very thing, he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Another translation says, and the, this work that he's began in you, he's going to cause it to come to a flourishing finish. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm headed for a flourishing finish. Say it again. I'm headed for a flourishing finish. A bright future, praise God. Amen. I heard one preacher say one time, and if I remembered who it was, I'd tell you. But nevertheless, he said, distraction is shifting our attention from something of greater importance to something of lesser importance. That's good, isn't it? A distraction or distraction is shifting our attention from something of greater importance to something of lesser importance. So remember this, God has not changed his plans. Amen. Now, let's, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I was told I have all day today. Don't turn that television set off. I'm not going all day. Romans chapter 5. And let's look at verse 17. Now, the last time I spoke here a couple of weeks ago, I said in advance, the next time I speak here, anybody remember what I said I was going to talk about? Reigning and not just maintaining. Reigning in life and not just maintaining. Now, I'm through with my introduction. I'm going to talk about that. Praise God. In other words, to reign in life is leaving the norm. Amen. That's not the norm for most people. In fact, I'll show you here that you're not only to reign in life, but the Amplified says to reign as kings. How many kings, you know, wake up every morning wondering, what am I going to do? Where are we going to get the money to pay for this? Romans 4, 17, or Romans 5, 17, rather. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And the Amplified says, they are to reign as kings in life. Reign as kings. Now this truth, I heard Brother Hagin say this one time, this truth hasn't been proclaimed enough in the body of Christ. Most of the body of Christ have no idea that they have a right to reign in life. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says that God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Uh, the message translation says they are ruined for a lack of knowledge. And then another translation says they are devastated for a lack of knowledge. Uh, another meaning for that would be they failed to experience God's best. They're deprived of, God, of what God wants them to have. That's because of a lack of knowledge. Amen. I had no idea when I first came into this that I was supposed to reign in life. It wasn't until I heard Brother Copeland preach about it. Then later I heard Brother Hagen preach about it. In fact, I've listened to Brother Hagen's uh, version of it so many times, praise God. He's beginning to sound like me. Hallelujah. Now I'm beginning to sound like him. Hallelujah. Amen. Reign in life. 
We are not to be deprived of God, of what God wants us to have. God wants us to enjoy every benefit and every blessing that Jesus gave his life for. Amen. Ephesians 1, 3, the Passion, Passion Translation says, Every spiritual blessing has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father. Glory to God. Don't you like that? Every spiritual blessing has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father. But the question is, are you enjoying them? Are you enjoying them? Now, terrain means to exercise royal authority. Terrain is a king. Means to exercise royal authority. Folks, we have authority. We have God-given authority. But most Christians are not using it. They just accept whatever comes down the pike. And yet they have authority over certain things. To exercise royal authority, to exercise power and dominion. It also means to rule and to prevail. Prevail. And it also means to prove to be superior. Hallelujah. We are to be superior to coronavirus. We are to be superior to sickness and disease. We are to be superior to poverty, lack, and want. Can you say amen to this? Hey, hallelujah. That's what Jesus went to Calvary for. is so that we wouldn't have to settle for just living normal lives. Now, what does maintain mean? Maintain means to remain in a certain state of being. It means to hold in place, not progressing. I wrote a definition down for reigning means reaching full potential, enjoying the fullness of our position in Christ. Maintaining is to remain in a certain state of being, to hold in place, not progressing. It's sad when you see some Christians that are in the same state of being that they were 20 years ago. Nothing's changed. My, my life is not at all like it was 51 years ago. Not at all. People that knew me back then and knew the way Carol and I lived back then, they would quickly tell you these two are not living the same kind of life. Amen. I'm not, I'm not in the same position I was back then. I'm enjoying the fullness of the blessing. Well, I say I'm headed there anyway. I'm enjoying a whole lot more of it now than I was even 20 years ago. I'm progressing. Look at somebody and say, I'm progressing. Amen. We're not to stay as we were. We're not to just hold in place, never progressing. So are we reigning or are we just maintaining? Maintaining is not God's best for our lives. Now, a lot of people are satisfied with that. Well, we've been maintaining through it all. Well, in some circles, that's a good testimony, 
but it's not God's best. You know what? Think about this. If you're just maintaining, then you're not able to bless anybody else. And you're called to be blessed and to be a blessing. Now, if you're just maintaining, you're just kind of holding on, you know. Well, that, that's, that's a great testimony in some circles. You know, I, I can remember way back where I was glad to be able to say, man, we maintained this year. We, we just, we just <laughs> praise God, we didn't go backwards, but we didn't go forward either. And I was happy to give that testimony, but not anymore. Because <laughs> I know more now, praise God. Amen. When you're maintaining, you're, you're not able to be a blessing. You're not able to help your church. You're not able to support the missionaries. Amen. Because you're just, you're just stuck in one place. And even though during this time, that might be a good testimony, but why settle for that when God says you have the ability to reign in life? Amen. Lift your hands right now and say, Lord, I accept what you did at Calvary to change my life. So that I not just maintain, but that I reign. I receive it. And I give you glory for it. And give him a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. He gave his life so that you and I could reign. Now this needs to be a revelation to every member of the body of Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Giving you a lot of scripture this morning, but truth will set you free. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the body of Christ. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The Amplified says that we are to know and understand. Another word for understand is to comprehend or to grasp the true meaning of. In verse 19 from the Amplified says, so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable, the unlimited and the surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. Notice those adjectives. Immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing. Amen. The Passion Translation even says, the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you. Hallelujah. The immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing uh, 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 God's power that's been made available to us. Now, does that sound like that we're just to exist, that we're just to maintain, that we're just to accept whatever comes down the road? You know, que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, that's not the way God wants us to live. We're to reign in life. We're to reign in life. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Keith and Phyllis Moore sent me a robe 
It's a royal blue robe. And they, and I was told they got it at the same place where Prince Charles gets his robe in London. I've been in that store. In fact, you can't just walk in that store. They got a guy outside. You push a button and get permission to walk in. I said, can I come in here and just look? You remember, Carolyn? We, want, we, we just went in there and looked. I looked at the suit. I even tried on a suit in that store. And if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask the price because I knew that was the rule in there. But then I took a quick look. I looked under the, under the collar at that tag. I could have bought a new Corvette for that. And I'd prefer to have the Corvette, praise God. I put the collar down and said, thank you very much. And we went out and uh, I haven't been in there since. But this royal blue robe, I had it on last night. I felt princely. In fact, I even strut around in it. Hallelujah. Nobody even sees me, but I'm strutting around. I can't show off anybody, but I got my Prince Charles royal blue robe on. And once in a while, I'll give myself the queen's wave. Hallelujah. Amen. I remember one time, uh, Carol and I were in New York City, and we were staying at the Plaza Hotel. And, and we were just there for some vacation time, and it was wonderful. It was in December, snow on the ground, and... and uh, we were staying in the plaza, and, and uh, uh, they have these buggy rides through Central Park. And we got in one of the buggies, you know, and we're riding through Central Park, and then we're going over to Tavern on the Green, which was a great, great restaurant. And uh, uh, then afterwards, uh, come back to the hotel, and the next morning I told Carol, I'm going to get up and just go for a walk. So I went not too far from there, right actually across from Trump plaza. And uh, I saw this men's store and I walked in there had the most beautiful men's shirts I'd ever seen in my life. I don't even know how to describe them to you. The, the feel of it was just amazing. And it was one of those stores where if you have to ask the price you can't afford it. The one shirt I was looking at, I happened to see the price tag on it. It's kind of hidden, you know. $1,500 for one shirt. I politely put it back. I thought, boy, what would the Crowley cleaners do to that shirt if I bought it? <laughs> one time I sent it to the cleaners, you know. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm not spending $1,500 for the Crowley cleaners to mess it up and can't be worn again, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, not too long after that, we invited Jesse and Kathy Duplantis to go with us to New York City and stay at the plaza. And, uh, and so, I could hardly wait. We did the buggy ride thing and all that. I said, Jesse, in the morning, I want to take you to a men's store and show you shirts like you have never seen in your life. Okay, okay. So we got up the next morning. We walked over to that men's store. Jesse 
I mean, he looked at those shirts. He, he, he started pulling them off the rack, you know. And he laid up there on the counter, 10 shirts. He got his billfold out, got his American Express out, and he, he don't know what they cost. I didn't tell him. I set him up. <laughs> he don't have a clue what they cost. And he put the American Express card out there, and the guy said, that'll be 15000 somehow. Just said, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he, he put them all back and walked out of the store. <laughs> well, every once in a while, I like to wear my princely robe. And let's strut around a little bit in it, you know? Amen. Why? Because the Bible says he's the king of kings. He's the big king. We're the little kings. Hallelujah. Amen. Shake hands with the person next to you and say, how does it feel shaking hands with a king? <laughs> Tell them I might be a little king, but I'm still a king. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Are we reigning or are we just maintaining? Hallelujah. Now, the Bible says, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and remember that reigning means to exercise royal authority, power, dominion, to rule, to prevail, to prove to be superior. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You shall receive power. Another translation says virtue, which is another word that's synonymous with power. But the word virtue means to have preeminence. To have preeminence. And preeminence means superiority and distinction. Superiority and distinction. Hallelujah. Didn't, didn't God say to Abraham, I will bless you and I'll make your name great? Another translation says, I will cause your name to become distinguished. Distinguished. In other words, when people think of Abraham, they think of God. They think of the blessing. They think of relationship with one who is the superior one. Amen. And here, God has given us power. And with that power comes virtue. And virtue means to be superior and to have distinction. Amen. You remember when Paul was ministering in uh, a certain city and these seven sons of Sceva, you know, and uh, the demon spoke up and said, Jesus we know. Paul we know, but who are you when they tried to cast out this devil? Jesus we know, and Paul we know. I think it's interesting. I mean, it's understandable that they knew Jesus. The demons, wouldn't you think, would know Jesus? In fact, the Bible says there are many times when he just, you know, get out of the boat and start ashore, and people that were demonically oppressed, they just fall down and and say, why have you come? Have you come to cast us out before our time? They 
obviously knew Jesus. He didn't have to open his mouth. But they also said they knew Paul. (laughs) That's amazing. They knew Jesus. Jesus we know and Paul we know. Hallelujah. I preached a sermon years ago called, Are You Known in Hell? (laughs) Do the demons know you? In fact, it was so funny. I preached it right here in the Believers Convention, Fort Worth, years ago. One day I preached, where are the Elijahs of God? Now, the Bible says that it says, where is the God of Elijah? But I said, where are the Elijahs of God? And then the next day I preached, are you known in hell? And somebody came to our tape table the next day and said, I want that message Jerry Savelle preached yesterday. Who in hell is Elijah? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I said. <laughs> oh, I'll never forget that. I laughed all day when I heard that. Oh, praise God. So how was Paul known by those demons? Because he cast them out quite often. Amen. I remember one time Joe and I were in Kenya. And uh, we had we were having this outdoor crusade. Thousands of people there. And man, we had fire. God was just demonstrating and or displaying. And people getting healed and delivered and and uh, they had a man chained to a tree that was demon-possessed. And, and we went back there to minister to him, and he got set totally free and actually became a cook in our church. And uh, uh, then there was a couple there that asked me if I would go to their village and pray for their son who was demon-possessed. And this boy was about, I don't know, 15 years old or so. So we told him we would. The, the crusade was over. We had one extra day there. So we got in a four-wheel drive vehicle and drove through the bush, which we call the jungle, as far as we could go. And then you had to get out and walk the rest of the way because it's so thick. And, and when we got to this place where they lived in a mud hut, I could see the boy before we ever got to the hut. He was chained to a tree and he was, he was like a wild animal. And before I even got to him, he said in this demonic voice, I know who you are. I said, Joe, <laughs> he knows who we are. <laughs> I know who you are. You come to cast me out and you can't. Oh. When he said you can't, the fur stood up on the back of my neck, you know. He, he, he insulted the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. A righteous indignation rose up. I said, Joe, start praying in the Holy Ghost. And Joe started praying in the Spirit. Man, when Joe starts praying in the Spirit, he kicked it into fifth gear. Hallelujah. And and I just stood there near that boy. And he's, he's, he's got a chain around his neck and he's trying to and he got, got to me to scratch my eyes out. And then he said, I know the Bible better than you do. 
I can quote the whole book of John. Can you? And he started quoting. I mean, he started quoting. I just, I just stood there. Joe's praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm praying in the Spirit under my breath. I just waited for the right time. Amen. And boy, it came. All of a sudden, I just interrupted him while he's quoting about the third chapter of John and cast those devils out of him. There were several in him. I cast those devils out of him. He just went limp. Now, it took about 40 minutes to do this. He just went limp. And I said to his family, you can take the chain off now. They were afraid to let him in the house, in the hut. His, his siblings were afraid of him. And they fed him in a pan like a dog. I said, you can take the chain off of him now and, and uh, stand him up. They stood him up and he looked at his mom and dad and he, he just tears in his eyes and hugged them and loved on them. They loved on him. And of course, his siblings come around him and all. And, and uh, uh, it was just marvelous, praise God. And then we walked back to the vehicle and went back to where we were staying. Several years later, I got a letter from him. And he just graduated from the University of Nairobi. Was going to be a medical doctor, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. But those devils knew me when I walked up there. So that was the basis of my sermon. Are you known in hell? You should be. Amen. So notice, when we have power from the Holy Ghost, then we have preeminence, superiority, distinction. I I, I read from the dictionary one time that superiority and distinction, distinction suggest a very high status in life. Hallelujah. Well, wouldn't reign as kings be a high status in life? Hallelujah. Folks, we're living beneath our privileges. We don't have to be controlled by what controls the rest of the world. You know, stir yourself up. Sometimes, sometimes I have to just, I have to get strong on myself. Jerry Savell, you know better than this. Why are you tolerating this? Why are you putting up with this? Sometimes you need to just stand in front of the mirror and preach to yourself. And if it's a good sermon, give yourself an offering. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you just have to just jerk the slack out from under yourself. And remind yourself, you don't have to put up with this. You don't have to live this way. You have royal authority. Now use it, praise God. <laughs> like that time, and I'll close it with this. I was just learning these things. I moved here and went to work with Brother Copeland. And of course, I, I was out ministering from time to time on my own before I moved here, and mostly in youth meetings and so forth. And uh, we were in Springfield, Missouri at the Howard Johnson's Hotel. And uh, we rented a little small ballroom back in those days. The crowds weren't very big, you know. And 
And so I did all the preliminaries. And, and then uh, when it was time for Brother Copeland to preach, I turned the service to him. And we kept a little uh, t- a tape recorder and the amplifier on the stage. And I sat behind it. And Brother Copeland would be on the, at the podium. And it was on the stage as well, but he'd be at the podium. And he might sing a song before he preached, or he might do a few, uh, make a few statements before he preached. But then he'd always turn to me and he'd do it like this. Turn me on, Jerry. That was my cue to turn the tape player on, the recorder. And I'd like to remind you from time to time, if it hadn't been for Jerry, you'd have never got turned on. Hallelujah. Okay. Just a little humor there, very little, but it blesses me. Praise God. So, I'm sitting on the platform waiting for my cue. Turn me on, Jerry. So I turned it on, the recorder, and I got a headset on. I'm listening, make sure we're getting a a good recording. And then I'd put my headset down, get my Bible notebook out. I had room to put it there. And boy, I am now in Bible school. I I was the most attentive person in the building. It didn't make any difference to me if anybody showed up or not. You can preach to me, you know. And so uh, he's preaching along there, man. It was powerful. And I remember the sermon, what Satan saw on the day of Pentecost. Oh, my goodness, what a powerful sermon. And so uh, he's preaching along there, and all of a sudden this woman stands up, just about three rows back. Brother Copeland, Brother Copeland, Brother Copeland. He said, wait, lady, I'm at the most important part of my sermon. Wait just a moment. Brother Copeland, Brother Copeland, Brother Copeland. Lady, please, I'll let you say what you want to say as soon as I get through with this point. Brother Copeland, Brother Copeland. He finally said, well, lady, I guess you won't shut up. What is it? Or something to that effect, you know. She said, I'll never forget this. She got down like this and pointed to the corner of the room and got out in the aisle. Jesus, you said you would come down today and pick me up on your wings and we would soar away together. I got up to see if Jesus was in the corner. (laughs) I couldn't see him. And she got out in the floor and act like she was soaring in flight on Jesus' wings. And it got spooky. (laughs) Brother Copeland, he was the rock of Gibraltar. He just stood there like this and just watched it. And I'm thinking, boy, are we going to have a lesson today? I'm going to get to watch the man of God cast out demons out of that woman. That woman's demon-possessed. And she got weirder. And he just stood there and looked at her. Then finally he turned around and pointed to me. Jerry, get this woman out of here and get her delivered. Don't you let her free until she is free. <laughs> what? <laughs> you talking to me? I ain't got any hair on my legs today. They all broke off that moment. 
scared me silly. I said, me? I wonder what you doing. <laughs> you're, the, you're the man of God. I'm just a helper. Jerry, get her out of here and get her free and don't you let her go until she is free. I don't want to go nowhere with that woman. How many of you remember that old song back in the 60s or early 70s? Please, Mr. Custer, I don't want to go. (laughs) I thought of that song. Please, Mr. Copeland, I don't want to go. (laughs) And he turned and said, get her out of here. Well, I come down off the platform. I don't even want to be close to that woman. She is weird. So I reached out to grab her arm. And she went. I turned back and looked at Brother Kobe and said, get her out of here. I'm trying to, but she, every time I grab for her, she flaps me away. I had to hold that woman with two hands. One arm with two hands. And I'm thinking, where am I going to take her? So I drug her over to a door like that over there. And it went into the kitchen. I thought, I'm not taking her into the kitchen, all them people in there. So I drug her back across here. And she's flapping with one arm, you know. And I opened the door and it went out to the parking lot. I thought, I'm not taking her out there. There's too much room, you know. She dragged me all over that parking lot. And finally, I saw a door in the very back. I didn't know where it went. I drug her all the way to the back. And it turned out to be a closet, a cloak room. And so I'm trying to find, I've drug her in that room. And I'm trying to find a light switch. I can't find one. There, there's rods in there with hangers everywhere. And that woman's flapping. And she broke loose. And I stood by the door so she couldn't get out. And, and, and she's flapping. And then she hit me right under the chin and knocked me down. Well, now, whether I got Holy Ghost power or not, I'm fixing to knock this lady out. You know, I mean, we done gone to another level now. The old man was rising up. Hallelujah. That I slapped the fire out of you, you know. And then I got, I gained my composure and, and she went to flapping again and I grabbed her and she fell down and pulled me on top of her. I'm laying on top of this woman looking face to face. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, if Kenneth Copeland comes in this room, sees me on top of this woman, he'll be casting devils out of me, you know. And finally, I said, God, what do I do? She's screaming, hollering, all this stuff, you know, and flapping and trying to get up. I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, use the name. The name? What name? What name? (laughs) Geronimo. No, that's not it. He said, use the name of Jesus. There's where the authority lies. I said, in the name of Jesus, you foul, unclean spirit, you come out of this woman. And boy, she just went limp. And just opened her eyes and began to weep. And and then I prayed over her and stood her up. And boy, she, she didn't even realize she had done any of that. It was demonic. She was under the control of this demon spirit. So then I opened the door 
And everybody was gone. Brother Copeland's gone. Everybody's gone. I've been in there for a while, you know. Only two women standing out there, and they'd been praying in the Spirit. I said, who are you? They said, we're the ones who brought her here. I said, thanks a lot. (laughs) They got her out of a mental institution and brought her to that meeting. The boy, she left free, hallelujah. Do you not, do you not think that charged my faith, hallelujah? Yeah, that's right. Uh, she told me when I was, when I began to, Carolyn reminded me of when I began to cast the devil out. She said, you can't cast me out. I came in here at the death of my father. Now he said, I came in here at the death of her father. And, and I ignored that and just cast the devil out of her. But then after uh, we got her out there where those two ladies were that brought her to the service, they said, she's been in a mental institution for most of her life. When her father died, she crawled up in the casket with him and, and wouldn't leave. And they had to pull her off of her father. And that's when that spirit entered her. That's the reason he said, you can't cast me out. I, I came in here at the death of her father. Well, praise the Lord. He got out. She was free, praise God. Amen. Well, from that moment forward, I realized I'm now known in hell. I am now known in hell, praise God. We have authority, folks. We have dominion. Stand with me, if you will. Amen. We don't have to tolerate anything the devil does. Take authority. You're God-given authority. Hallelujah. I've had the privilege, and I'm not being braggadocious, and I'm not, I'm not um, trying to lift up my own self, promote my own self, but I have the privilege of casting out devils out of people all over the world. Amen. I don't go looking for devils. In fact, sometimes they look for me. But we have authority. We have dominion. We are to reign in life as kings. Not just maintain, but reign. Hallelujah. Lift your hands right now and say, Lord, I receive my commission from you. I am to reign in life in the name of Jesus. And I receive it. Now lift your hands and give him praise. Hallelujah. Give him praise. And make a quality decision right now that you are not going to tolerate any longer anything Satan does. Anything Satan brings into your life. Hallelujah. We're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to put up with it. We have royal authority in the name of Jesus.